We are at the beginning of a new series, and, and I'm excited for this series. And, and it comes uh, largely based on a, a series another pastor did, and that's what pastors do is we borrow one another's stuff. Um, you know, there is nothing new under the sun, I think one pastor said. It's scripture. Y'all should have got that. That's a, that's a, yes, it is scripture. And we all, we all say the same stuff, and we just recycle each other's. Nobody ever recycles my stuff. But, you know, bigger people, we recycle our good stuff. And, and so uh, it's called You're Not the Boss of Me. And everybody say that. You're not the boss of me. Say it one more time together. With attitude, I like it. He was at the first service, so he gets extra credit points. Yeah, you gotta say, you're not the boss of me, right? You gotta come out of your seat almost when you say that. You're not the boss of me. And there's a reason. Here's the, the, the subtitle to this sermon series. How to say no to the emotions that try to control you. How to say no to the emotions that try to control you. Because, because here's, here's the thing is control is a big issue in all of our lives, right? Control is this huge thing that many of us struggle with. Not just the control freaks, every, every single one of us. In fact, when we were little bitty, people try to control us and we learned to say a two-letter word. You know what that word is? No, right? Remember that? Some of you have little kids right in the no stage right now. But remember when you were little toddlers, you had little toddlers running around and you'd say, hey, it's time to come to dinner. No. Hey, it's time to do, no. And it was just always, no, no, because they wanted control. And, and that was the way that they could gain or have kind of some control over their life that was really not in their hands. But we don't leave that when we grow up. We still want control. And we still actually want to tell people no. In, in fact, the American dream is this dream of autonomy. And, and really this autonomy is this, this idea that, that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want to, with enough money to do whatever you want to do, or enough money to get you out of trouble for what you wanted to do when you wanted to do it because you really shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. In other words, what we want is the ability to tell people no. Hey, we want you to, nope, mm -mm. nope. I will call all the shots for my life, right? That's the ultimate goal. We get to a place in our life where we are successful enough, powerful enough, have enough resources where we can call all of the shots for our life. You ever see somebody that's in that position that has achieved that kind of status? They have the power, they have the resources, they have the position, all these different things, and they are in control of their life. And then they make a misstep and because you look at me like, oh, I could do it better than he does. And then he does something wrong and it's all across the news and they like have this big fallout and there's tears and all kinds of stuff. You're like, does a little bit of you go, <laughs> you're like a little happy about it? No, am I the only horrible person in the room? Great, see you next week. Uh, <laughs> I'll try to be better. Um, so, so you have this thing and, and what we think is, oh, but if I wouldn't have done that, if I had the ability to call my own shots, on everything that I do, I would sail through life. If they only would take my advice and learn how to do it the right way. But here's the problem, is we all take our own advice most of the time. And our own advice is, is clouded by our emotions and our distorted sense of reality. And I say distorted because my sense of reality is my sense of reality and it's not yours. You have a different sense of reality than I do. It doesn't mean that yours is right and mine is wrong. They're just distorted by our emotions and our experiences and our self. 
And so even when we have the ability to make all the calls for ourselves, we don't do a good job. Even when we have the ability to tell anybody no that we want to tell no, we still have issues. The good thing about it is, is that for most of us, we've learned to control and modify our behavior in such a way that people don't realize it. Like we're very good at controlling our behavior and monitoring how we act. In fact, most of you are doing it right now. You come into a church, the preacher starts talking, what do you do? You're quiet. You sit quietly. You stare at the preacher as if you were listening. Yeah, I, I get it, man. You're not, you may not be listening. There are going to be times, look, I don't listen to myself the entire sermon either. I start thinking about other stuff. It, you know, and, and some of you are arguing, I've already had someone tell me, if I'm looking at my phone, I'm not looking at my fantasy football scores. Just put that in your head. He is looking at his fantasy football scores. And all of you who play fantasy football are now thinking the same thing but you've modified your behavior in such a way that you're not really showing that to me. We become very good at, at almost hiding things from one another. In fact, in premarital counseling, I, I talk to couples a lot about this. And, and what I say is, hey, um, I know that you two love each other and it's really cute and sweet, but this isn't who he really is. This isn't who she really is. There are going to be things that you will discover about one another when you begin to live together that you're like, oh. My wife, for instance, she is of the school of thought that the toilet paper roll goes under when you install it on the holder. This is heresy, thank you. I can't believe I live with someone like that, right? because everybody knows that Jesus installed it to go over the top, right? It is an over the top scenario. I didn't know this about her until I lived with her. Like, what are you doing? You have a 50-50, she goes, I just put it on. I'm like, you have a 50-50 shot of putting it going over and it's never over. You are secretly an under the to toilet paper person, right? It's kind of a little thing, but sometimes there are bigger things. Sometimes there are these these emotions that seek to control us, but we modify our behaviors and become good at it because we wanted a first date. And we modified our behavior because we wanted a second date and a third date. And then we just kept modifying our behavior until she said yes. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, you really have a short temper. Yeah, I have my whole life. What of it? Right? This is, the conversation never happened in our house. But we have these things that we modify our behavior to hide the emotion that's driving us. And what Jesus says is, look, look, I don't want you just to modify your behavior. Yes, we do need to have some behavior modification, right? All behaviors aren't okay. Let's just be clear about that. But what he was more concerned about was what was driving all of that. He was more concerned about those emotions that were seeking to control everything about the person. In fact, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, he says this. Matthew chapter 15 is where I am, verse 1. It, it, Matthew says this. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrive from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now, he's setting up this whole scene about what's going on. And you have to see the bigger picture because of what Jesus says. 
You have, these, you have these teachers of religious law and these Pharisees, and Matthew is very specific, coming from Jerusalem. There were Pharisees and teachers of religious law where they were, but these are the bigwigs. These are one they've called in from HQ, right? I mean, they're coming in, they're wearing the proper robes, and harumph, 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 you know, and they walk in, and they, and they come in, and, and they're looking at Jesus, and they're standing, and they're, they're trying to find a trap for Jesus. And Matthew is trying to point this out. He's like, look, they're in here, and they're not here because they love Jesus. They're here to trap him. And the Pharisees asked Jesus this question. Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For, for they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. So what's the question? The question is, they're like, hey, your disciples aren't washing their hands before dinner. And we're all like, kind of like, well, yeah, your mama taught you that, right? I mean, we, we all learned that as a kid. But there's something deeper going on here. And they say, why are they ignoring the tradition of the elders? Why are they ignoring this, this long-standing oral law? Because there is a belief that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he had the written law, the Torah. And he comes down and he delivers these laws to the people of Israel. But then there was this, this other belief that Moses, when he got down there, he's like, here's all the laws. Now here's a few more. But I'm just going to tell them to you. And you remember them, and then you pass them on from one generation to the next. So there was this, this oral tradition of these mosaic laws, this oral Torah, these, these laws that were passed down verbally and held by a handful of men. They were the keepers of these laws. And they would implement them or pull them back as it suited their preference. Let me put it this way. Have you ever been on a playground with a kid? Like you're, when you were a kid and you're on a playground with a kid and you're playing a game and, and, and then all of a sudden the rules change? You know what I'm talking about? Like you're playing and all of a sudden there's this kid out there. No, no, no. No, when you cross that line, that's five points for me. What do you mean when I cross that? We didn't talk about, oh yeah, no, no, that's a rule. It's a rule. It was a rule from the beginning, right? Because you're starting to win. And, and so they get a little nervous and they start implementing rules so that they can win. They're playing this game, right? This is what these Pharisees were doing. They were playing a game and they were manipulating this oral tradition so that they could win. And Jesus is having none of it. In fact, he confronts them on this multiple times, but here he's like, no, 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 no. And this is his response to him. And why do you, Pharisees and teachers of religious law, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? Right? I mean, I love this. He's like, hey, why do your disciples not wash hands and, and disregard the oral Torah? And Jesus is like, hey, why by your oral Torah do you actually disregard the written law? Like, the thing that really matters to God so much so that he put it down on paper? Not just handed it down hearsay from one, this was like written form. Why are you taking these traditions? And he gives them an example. He goes, you know, like, like God says that you need to honor your father and mother. You need to take care of them. It's kind of one of the big ones, right? You need to take care of your father and mother. And yet you have this little tradition that says, oh, I'd really love to take care of your mom and dad, but kind of strapped for cash right now because I gave an offering to God. 
you're trying to use these traditions as loopholes to get your own way. And, and then he takes it to another level. And he quotes from the book of Isaiah. He, he says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips. They, they honor me with the things that they say and the things that they do. They honor, with me, they honor me with their so-called religion and their systems. He says, but their heart, their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. This right here is, is a huge thing, and Jesus is going to take it just a step further. But right here what he's doing is he's saying all the religious constructs that we have ever created are man-made, and they are not for God. They are for us. And you can do all of these man-made traditions and worship in the right way and not have a heart for God. It doesn't matter how you pray if your heart isn't for God. It doesn't matter how you worship if your heart isn't in it for God. It doesn't matter all of the religious things that you could ever imagine or do if your heart is not in it for God. And he says this to the Pharisees, and then, he, and then he turns to the crowd, and he's like, hey, come on, gather around. I'm going to drop some knowledge on you. He says, listen, and try to understand. It is not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Boom. And he drops his mic, and he walks away. Right? I mean, just, he's sitting up there just whoppa, whoppa, one jab after another at the Pharisees. And he's exposing their whole hypocrisy, the hypocrisy that they operate in. The hypocrisy that they try to control everyone with. It doesn't matter what goes into your mouth. What matters is what comes out. And then he walks away and and I can just imagine the Pharisees and the religious leaders who have come in from Jerusalem to trap him are going like, I have never been treated that way before. Can you imagine what he did? Can't believe he said that, right? And all the crowd that are standing by are just like, oh, oh. You know, and the disciples walking off going, Jesus, team Jesus, right? They have no idea what's going on, by the way. But they're walking off going, we won. I don't know what he said, but I know that we won. And I know that they don't know because they come back to him, right? And, and they're like, um, hey, Jesus, hey, good one. That was awesome. Good moment there. Do you, you realize that you probably angered them, right? Like these are the, the leaders of all of our church and our, the Hebraic leaders and everything, and you really upset them with what you just said. And, and Jesus says this. Hey, every plant not planted by my father will be uprooted. Like, like everything, every religious construct, every, everything that is not from God is trash. All of these things that if, if it is not from God or honoring God, 
Throw it away. Because if you follow it, he says, you might as well be blind following a blind guy and the two of you are just going to end up in a ditch. This is a really common saying during that time and he pulls it out. He's like, it's like, it's like a blind guide leading another blind person and they're just going to end up in the ditch. If it is not from my father, it'll be thrown out. It should be thrown out. And then Peter it does what Peter always does. He's like, um, okay, Pharisees bad, father good, but what about that parable? He says, explain to us the, the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. And what Peter's asking here is a very important question for the Jews. Because in all of this written Torah are a ton of dietary laws. A ton of things that they must follow in order to be clean and not to be unclean so that they can come into presence and relationship with God and all of these different hoops that they would have to jump through. One of them being meat and cheese cannot be eaten together. <clears throat> Horrible thing. Praise Jesus for Jesus, right? So we can have a cheeseburger. Can I get an amen and hallelujah here? Come on. Yes, bacon, egg, and cheese taco. It's pork, meat, and cheese together. Yes. Okay, so you have this thing, but what, but what he's saying is, Jesus, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you disregarding the Mosaic dietary laws? This is huge. And know this, Jesus not only kept the laws, he's the only one to do it perfectly. He's not throwing out the dietary laws here. This isn't his concern. His concern is deeper. And he says it this way. He goes, don't you understand yet? You know, and sometimes we hear that as kind of angry. Don't you understand yet? It's all in the emphasis, right? That's why you can't read anything in the text. But he's like, I, I think it's like, Peter, come on, man. Don't you understand? Because this is how he says it. And please hear the humor that Jesus has in this. Anything you eat passes through your stomach and then goes into the sewer. Hear this from the ears of a 13, 14-year-old boy, because that is primarily the age of the disciples. And he goes, hey, man, hey guys, you know, every time we eat, what happens a little bit later? Right? You can hear these, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Simon did it two times yesterday, you know, just needling each other. Well, yeah, every time you, you eat, then something's going to happen. It's just going to go into the sewer. But then he turns it. He says, but, but the words you speak, the words you speak, those are what defile you. What you eat doesn't pull you away from God, but what you say can it's the words. Jesus is more concerned about what's coming out of the mouth than he is about what's going in. But he says it this way. Just because the words you speak, they come from the heart. And from the heart come all evil thoughts. Murder, 
adultery, immorality, theft, lying, slander. Mark adds in his telling of this, greed, malice, envy, arrogance, folly, which is a fun word that we should use more frequently. What he says is, from your heart, from, and he's not just talking about the boom, 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 heart, right? It's like your, your soul. It's like who you are. From the very core of who you are, that, that's what comes out of your mouth. God is far more concerned with what is coming out of your mouth than what's going in your mouth. Because what's going in your mouth and all these religious constructs and all these different things that they had created, all they do is, is make God small and petty. Because, think about it this way. How many of you are um, you're kneelers when you pray? Like when you pray, you're like, it's not a really good prayer unless I'm on my knees. Anybody in this room? A couple of people who are slightly putting that. How many of you wish, thank you for raising your hand a little higher there. How many of you wish that we would use the kneelers in here more? Because when you bring the kneeler down in church, that's when Jesus is about to show up. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is how you pray, right? And, and, you're, and you think, and it's one of these things where it's like, oh, oh God, God, would you, oh wait, hold on just a second. Hold on, hold on. He wasn't listening, hold on. Okay, Jesus, now he's listening because I'm on my knees, right? God doesn't care if you're on your knees. I'm sorry if this is bursting some of your bubbles. He doesn't. God doesn't care if you close your eyes when you pray. God doesn't care if you're like me. I'm more comfortable with my eyes opening praying, looking up to heaven, as if God lives above us, which is another sermon, another conversation. But that is how I am more comfortable praying. And I know that when I pray like this, God isn't looking at me going, oh man, he really means it because he's looking right at me. Like I keep moving, but his eyes follow me, right? It isn't for God. I'm not making God happy by going through those motions. Look, I, I say this every holiday weekend, and I say it because it's funny to me. Um, but on holiday weekends, I always call them, does anybody know what I call them? Extra credit Sundays, right? And that's because you people are never here on those Sundays, so you never hear me say it. But when people who show up on those like Labor Day Sunday and they're here, I'm like, extra credit Sunday, man. You're here, it's a holiday weekend. You have tomorrow off. And Jesus is looking down going, oh, he's here. That's extra credit points right there. That's not true. <laughs> Jesus isn't taking score about that. God, see, we, we make these things in these religious practices, and what we do when we do it wrong is we say, in order to have more relationship with God, you have to do it this way. If you don't pray hard enough or long enough or in the right way, God won't move. But God doesn't care about that kind of stuff. God isn't taking score about how you are doing certain things and how often and how it comes into your mouth, because that is all into your mouth kind of things. What he cares about is the quality of your heart. What he cares about is what happens when you speak. That is the most important thing to God. God is more concerned with how we treat one another than he is with the practices we keep to construct a form where we can control our relationship with him. He's more concerned about our heart, about our emotions. And those emotions stir and they drive us and they control us 
Every one of us has one of those emotions, emotions that I talked about that, that is their primary emotion by which they operate. Every one of us has those thi- that, that thing that just, it's like, ah, oh, I can't get beyond fear. I, I, I can't get beyond greed. I can't get beyond envy. I can't get beyond lust. I can't get beyond thief, th- thievery. Thievery. I can't get beyond those things. Every time something, it just triggers and it just moves me. What is it for you? You don't have to shout it out. In fact, don't. But what's the primary emotion that kind of drives you? That, 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 that thing that, is, that engages. I know what mine is, and I'm, I'm going to talk about it not tonight, in a couple of weeks. But I know what it is. And, and, and I know when I feel it coming on. And I know the things that trigger it. And and what I need to do is begin to guard my heart. I need to begin to build that muscle and that strength so that I can say these six words. You're not the boss of me. Right? And, and, And so that's what we're going to do over these next weeks is we're going to look at some of these emotions. And some of you, this is going to be powerful for you because your life is lived with this. And maybe it's, maybe it's envy, and every time that envy comes up, you, you say, you know, no, 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 envy, you're not the boss of me. Uh-uh. Fear? No, 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 fear. You're not the boss of me. Anger? No, sir. Not the boss of me. Greed? Nope, not the boss of me. I have a boss, and you're not the boss of me. It is this practice that really should be audible for us for a while. As we strengthen this, and, it, and like, man, Maybe you're in a conversation and you feel envy coming up because this guy is talking about his new truck that he just got and it's another new truck. It's the third new truck he's had this year and aren't we all so happy for him? Envy, you're not the boss of me. And he's like, whoa. Never mind, it's a personal thing I'm dealing with, right? Or maybe you just say it under your breath. Oh, envy, you're not the boss of me. And why is this so important? Well, one, it's so important because it's important to God. But two, it's so important here and now because out of the overflow of our heart, we spread it to those that are closest to us. See, the people who are closest to you in relationship are going to receive the overflow of your heart. They're going to receive that stuff that comes out. They're going to receive those words. They're going to receive those emotions that are seeking to control you. When I talk to couples, I always tell them a bad trap that a lot of folks fall into is is we give our A game at work. We give our very best for those people we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And when we go home, we give what's left over. We we give the, the B team or junior varsity squad stuff. We save the best for over here at work for these people who we're not even really connected to that much. And then we just dump on the people at home. And the reason we do that is because they're going to forgive us more quickly. And they live with us and they're not going to go anywhere. And they love us more than those people do. And, well, they'll just get over it. What would it have been like if when you were a child, your father didn't, didn't let anger lead conversations with you? My, my, my dad led with anger a lot. 
And I love my dad. And he's a totally different guy today. But I was scared of him. Because anger was an emotion that controlled him. And it was an emotion that controlled him because of stuff that happened a long time ago. But he gave it to us. I can't imagine what it would have been like had, had that not been the case. Or, or, or what would it be like if you had a mom and, and, and like guilt was the emotion that drove her. And, and she was always just throwing guilt down on you and just, just laying it on you and just made you feel smaller and smaller and smaller. What, what would it have been like if, if, if she could control that and didn't, didn't let that emotion lead her relationship with you? Or, or what would it be like maybe if, if we were able to grab control of our hearts and we didn't allow these evil thoughts, these emotions to control us and, and that's not what spilled over at home? I'm still not going to tell you what mine is. But I have a vision in my mind of what it would look like in my home if I didn't let it control me. So how do you, how do, you do it? What do you do to move beyond that? You know, because the, those things are, are powerful. Fear is huge. Anger is big. Guilt is strong. Greed is everywhere. How do you how do you control something that is so powerful? Well, Jesus said this. He said, hey, come to me. Come to me, all you who are tired of having those things control you. Come, come to me if, if you're tired of, of guilt being your boss or anger or greed. Come to me if those things just have just burdened you. And I will give you rest. All right, yeah, yeah, no, no. You don't understand the kind of rest that I mean, though. Right? He, he says at another time, I, I'm going to give you some peace, but not, at the, as, not as the world gives. Because the world will give you this peace and this rest when everything's going well. But when things are, are hurting and in trouble, the world pulls it back. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. Mine's bigger than that. Come to me if you're tired and burdened by all these things. And I, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me lead you. Let me, let me point out the path that I long for you to walk. Let me, let me give you this way of life. Because I'm gentle. He says, I, I'm humble of heart. He says, I will give you rest for your souls. What would it be like if, if, you really, if you really stepped into that? Right? I, I got to tell you, at the first service, I just, I just wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling my sermon. I, I, was, I was all scattered. I have way more notes than I normally do, and that always throws me off when I have a lot of stuff that I'm trying to follow. And I'm better shooting from the hip, quite honestly, and I'm like trying to follow this stuff, and I just wasn't feeling it. And I, and I walked off, and I told Jenna, and I was like, I was just earmuffs, little people. 
I just laid a turd up there is what I told her honestly. I was like, that was horrible. But then I had person after person come up to me in tears and say, you are talking right to me. We met, and, that, and this is me thinking more highly of myself and thinking it's really on my shoulders and it's one of those things that I have to deal with. It's not about me, it's about God. And we met here yesterday at 4.30 as we do every Saturday to pray for today. And I led the guys that were here, I was like, look, I'm starting a new series that's gonna be about breaking people free from things that are controlling them. Man, I'm excited about this because this is what people just carry around this burden that they they don't have to. And imagine how joy-filled their life could be if they could let some of these things go and they could let God control their hearts. God, wouldn't it be awesome if people could walk away from guilt or anger or fear or greed or envy or lust or malice or folly? Wouldn't it be amazing if God could move in such a way and God's like, okay, let's do this. And so the offer team is coming up right now. The ushers are coming up right now. We're gonna take the offering as we, as we do at the end of the service. And, and, I, and I bless God for what you give and you're a generous church and it allows us to do a, a wonderful things like snack pack for kids, which we're, we're about to launch at Northwood. And I'm excited about all that stuff. And I, I bless God for the way that you honor him by giving. And I, and I pray blessing upon that, but, but, I, but I want you to feel something too. I want you to to hear God's gentle shout in your heart. You've been trying to do it this way. You've been trying to control things. And the overflow of your heart is just spewing out on the people you love. And that's not who I want you to be and it's not who you wanna be. So come to me. place my gentle and humble yoke upon you. Come to me and let me give you control over those things so that your soul can find rest. So I'm just going to pray for us. God, I thank you and I praise you for the way that you move in our life. I thank you so much that you don't want to leave us where we are locked and the oppression of guilt or anger or greed or envy or malice or folly or arrogance or whatever it is. God, I, I pray that tonight you would speak into someone's ear that tonight is the night that they let that go. Tonight is the night that they cut themselves free from that. Tonight is the night that they surrender themselves to you and say, no more will the outpouring of my heart be ugly and angry and murderous but it will be full of your peace because I long to let you and I will let you lead me. Father, may we find freedom here tonight. May all of us find the path that you long for us to take and find the rest for our souls. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Would you please stand and worship with us one more time?